Before we start this week's show, I'd like to remind you that The Brazilian Report is funded by subscriptions and support from loyal readers, as well as subscribing to our website and getting exclusive daily content on Brazil and Latin America. You can also treat our staff to one to five cups of coffee a month. And in return, you'll get exclusive benefits like special newsletters and behind the scenes content, as well as a shout out here on our podcast. And today I want to thank our Buy Me A Coffee members, Pan Ludwig, Leslie Seal, Caroline Hubert, Mark Hillary, John Thomas III, Louise Renz, Erwan, Orlando Black, Steve Knapp, Aaron Berger, James Coney, Kars Vriesvik, Alistair Townsend, Peter Abramson, Jim Awofadeju, Michael Fryer, Miller Renacido, David Dixon, José Ozzy Stankovic, Emerging Market Muser, Yarden Iftach, Tonica Thompson, Anderson Da Silva, Kat Kramer, Peter Suffren, Anna Lund, and someone who chose to remain anonymous. If you too believe in the importance of independent journalism, and if you want to hear your name on our podcast, head over to buymeacoffee.com slash Brazilian Report and subscribe to one of the membership tiers. If you can't make a monthly commitment, you can still tip us the occasional cup of coffee to give us the energy we need to cover a country as complex as Brazil and a region as complex as Latin America. We appreciate all your support. So click on buymeacoffee.com slash Brazilian Report to find out more. Several countries and regions are starting to discuss and pass legislation on regulating social media. And that requires finding the ideal combination on what is a slippery slope, because content moderation can easily cross the line into censorship depending on how it's enforced. And in that sense, Brazil could be a trailblazer because both Congress and the Supreme Court are tackling the issue of social media regulation right now. And depending on how things go, Brazil could teach the world what to do or what not to do. My name's Ewan Marshall, I'm Deputy Editor at The Brazilian Report, and this is Explaining Brazil. Passed in the Senate in 2020, Brazil's fake news bill has stalled in the lower house for years, as the powerful pro-Jair Bolsonaro caucus abhorred any sort of moderation of online content. But now, with the left back in power, the issue has gained momentum, especially after the recent January 8th riots in Brasilia and the multiple school attacks that were incited and orchestrated on social media. Among the bill's many provisions, one stands out. It holds online platforms responsible for damages caused by third-party content when the platforms are paid to boost the reach of the post in question. And platforms will also have to identify and assess algorithmic systemic risks that could facilitate the spread of illicit content, such as promoting violence or discrimination. And if the risk of harm is deemed imminent, then platforms will be required to exercise what is called their duty of care, and they can be held criminally liable if they're found to have been negligent in addressing these risks. The duty of care forces companies to actively combat the spread of content that violates the rights of minors or incites criminal activity or spreads misinformation about health issues, which is a direct response to the COVID misinformation that Brazil saw plenty of during the pandemic. 
Online platforms will be required to be transparent about content moderation and to objectively and publicly explain their reasons for taking down content. And that in itself will be a major paradigm shift for how we see the internet. So to discuss what may change and what we should be looking out for, we welcome back Marcella Matiozu. She is a PhD candidate at the University of São Paulo, a Yale visiting researcher and a partner at law firm VMCA. Marcela, thanks for coming back on the show. The Brazilian fake news bill borrows some elements from international examples, such as Australia's News Media Bargaining Code and the European Union's Digital Services Act. Do you think it used the best benchmarks that were available? So, first of all, thank you for having me. Um, it's a pleasure. And um, I think what, what's interesting about our fake news bill is that Though it does, to some extent, um, you know, deal with topics that are being discussed in several other jurisdictions, such as you mentioned, Australia um, in the European Union with the DSA, it kind of is a patchwork of those discussions. And I think that may be a problem in the sense that, for example, in Australia, there was a specific discussion regarding um, news content, right? And how platforms should or should not be responsible for paying for that kind of content that is being distributed within its platforms. Um, and that was a separate discussion from discussions of content moderation, which is something much more, you know, closer to what is the regulation in the DSA. The DSA itself does not at the same time have anything about um, remuneration, like payment for news. So what the what is perhaps a little bit awkward to some extent about the Brazilian bill is that it kind of merges um, several discussions into one single um, one single bill. And I think like from the political perspective as well, that has made the discussion much more complicated because once you start adding new topics to the Bill of Law, then you have more interested parties. It becomes ever more complicated to find consensus, right? Because, you know, there are several topics that are being discussed at the same time and, and, and they're all involving different players. So um, I think that more than being a discussion of whether it takes the best benchmarks, um, I think it's also a discussion about whether the way that those benchmarks were implemented um, was the best way to ensure that it is, you know, a cohesive bill, considering that, you know, the idea, of course, is for it to become a law. Um, so, so that, I think, is, is something that deserves a little, a little bit of attention. But, of course, the uh, proposals, the international proposals themselves are are interesting to to evaluate. What what I also think is important is that when you think about the DSA, especially, um, it's a proposal that was discussed in Europe like a lot, but at the same time, it's newly implemented, right? So whether it works is unfortunately something we don't yet know. And for sure, Europe will face challenges in implementation that we are also not fully aware 
of what those challenges exactly will be, right? There's some that you say, okay, this will be a challenge very likely, but there's a lot in, in implementing legislation that only becomes fully clear once you implement it, right? Some things that you did not anticipate would become issues do become issues. And perhaps other things that you thought would be more complicated end up being simpler. So uh, I think that's where we are in this discussion, right? It's really hard, after all, to talk about benchmarks because even the benchmarks that do exist have not been fully implemented or have been enforced for a very short period of time. So we don't really know whether they're going to work or not. So you flagged some points of attention with regard to the bill, but in what way, if any, is the Brazilian fake news bill innovative? Does Brazil advance these discussions in any way? Well, I, I do think so. It's important to say that it's not like copy paste exactly from any legislation. So I don't think it's fair to to say that we're not advancing the discussion in, in any way. We are, of course, borrowing also in terms of the relevance of the discussion itself, right? So this discussion about content moderation is happening everywhere. And, you know, there are discussions, research proposals, academics, um, legislation that is popping up. And Brazil, in the midst of that, is trying to respond. So in in that way, um, and again, considering it's not copy-paste, I do think we are we are trying to to advance the discussion. So, which is not to say it does not have um, you know problems, at least in my perspective. But generally, what the bill does is it tries to work with a law a logic of duty of care, right? And that is something that um, the government has been stressing out quite a lot in its debates regarding the bill, right? So it's not focused in that is not the idea which, you know, has been criticized, especially uh, by far politicians, far right politicians, and also um, some other people that, okay, this will mean um, a cur- curbing freedom of expression generally, because you will have control over individual posts, individual publications of each person, etc. And that's a problem. Um, if you read the Bill of Law, that's that's not what it is aiming for, which is also not to say that it will not allow for posts to be taken down, for information to be taken down, but it is based on a logic that generally the platforms would have to have this duty of care, which comes together with um, audits that they would have to do, criteria um, for content moderation that they would have to implement, Etc. That would all be, um, you know, part of this regulation that would be created. So, uh, I think the idea itself makes sense in the sense that you know there is response that is needed for what is going on politically, especially which is what fueled a lot of the Brazilian discussion, right? Political elections and so forth, but. At the same time, I think there are aspects that have not been discussed enough and that could, if implemented incorrectly, um, lead to several problems. So I, I think one of the aspects that is worth mentioning is the authority, right? 
So the idea behind the bill is that an authority would be responsible for oversight. And precisely because the political process that led to the implementation and the discussion of the fake news bill has been quite, um, let's call it complicated, we have not had sufficient debate on the model for that authority. And in my opinion, a lot of the success of these legislation would depend on how the authority would work, right? Um, and, and I think that's something that perhaps Brazil con could contribute a lot by creating a model that is somewhat based on what we have in the DSA, but a little bit different and adapted to our particular reality. So, and, and a bunch of options showed up at the table from using the telecommunications agency that, you know, already exists. So we pretty much just have to add that um, to their, to their basket to actually creating a, a new authority that would not necessarily be an authority responsible for direct oversight, but rather an authority responsible for regulating, for instance, a private entity that would be responsible for self-regulating platforms. So uh, to my mind, th that's where we could perhaps innovate and perhaps create um, solutions that would make sense and that could also work in other jurisdictions. But unfortunately, um, I don't think that has been discussed quite a lot or certainly not um, sufficiently. Um, I, I don't think for lack of trying, I, I think like several actors within the discussion did try to bring it up, but then the political process got really complicated and we couldn't advance that quite, quite a lot. And we interviewed the bill's rapporteur, uh, Congressman Orlando Silva, and he says that if a company is making money from the spread of content, then it should become liable for any harm that that content may cause. And a Supreme Court Justice, Alexandre Dumarais, said that whatever is punishable in the real world should also be punishable in the online world. I think that we have to differentiate between two scenarios here. One is what is is the one in which, like, obviously you cannot like commit crimes and just because you're committing them online, they're neglected. Right. But the truth is that this is not what happens today. And this is not really what the discussion is about. Right. So there's a big difference in between discussing the responsibility and the liability of the people that make posts online right? So the people that spread content directly, the ones who create content, etc., and discussing liability for the platforms. And in Brazil, as in other jurisdictions in the world, we created a separation between those, which makes sense, precisely in order to protect things such as freedom of expression, right? So the platform is not necessarily responsible for the content that its users are spreading in the platform itself. But platforms have always had, um, you know, rules, private rules that they impose on users precisely so that they can, to some extent, control the, dis the discussion that is happening within the platform and avoid precisely like criminal content from being publicized. So we have notable examples such as um, racism or nazism, fascism more broadly, that 
platforms generally have always been uh, trying to some extent to take that content down. I think the discussion is, should we enhance their liability, their responsibility in light of the relevance that platforms have, you know, kind of gained throughout the years in political discourse more broadly, right? So they are a relevant source of information for a lot of people um, within the discussion of the political process, for instance. And that, that is what's at the table when we're discussing the fake news bill, right? So it's not just responsibility and liability for, for content. It's, what, it's how content spreads in society today. What is the role of platforms in that process? And I think, um, you know, Representative Orlando Silva is concerned with something that makes sense, which is like the way in which platforms make money, most of them anyways, um, is by, for example, sponsoring content, selling advertising. And people have, unfortunately, over the years, learned that, you know, it's very efficient for you to, for example, sponsor content when that content is perhaps false, or at least, you know, then we're going to enter a discussion about what this information is. I'm trying to avoid that because the fake news bill itself does not go into that direction. But, you know, once platforms monetize their, their, their infrastructure based on that, then, you know, if you spread content and you make money by spreading content, you should be responsible for that content that you are allowing to be spread. Um, and of course, that, that makes some sense, um, of course. But the, the discussion here, which the other side of the, of the debate tries to bring up is fine, but then are we sort of privatizing a way of, you know, managing freedom of expression? Because are we at the end of the day saying that the platforms have to take down certain forms of content that we feel shouldn't be out there? And that's kind of like the, the, the far right uses the speech that, you know, you cannot take down any content because everything is freedom of expression, which is obviously not true, right? Not everything is freedom of expression. You cannot commit crimes. You cannot, you know, incite violence that has never been allowed. It's not within your right to do that. Um, so, so that's where we are. And especially because here, freedom of expression is not as absolutist as it is in the US. Uh, in Brazil, some controls over freedom of speech already exist and, you know, they're written into law. That, that's, another, that's another important point, right? Especially since we're talking to potentially Americans and people that have the First Amendment reference in mind, um, which is also why in the fake news bill, there is a discussion uh, about specifically, for instance, protecting representatives, right? Congress men and women would be sort of exempt from the rules that are being established for, for you know, the, the bill generally, for the population in general, which would put them in a category perhaps closer to a standard First Amendment, U.S. First Amendment style regulation, right? So uh, I think that's where the discussion is placed. And the, what we're trying to do, and I think it's you know unclear whether we will succeed or not, is can we find a balance, right? Can we find regulation that 
prevents this unlawful content from being spread without, of course, harming freedom of expression. And I think that's what we have to understand. It's not necessarily something that's incompatible. It can, of course, be incompatible. But in order for it to work properly, we have to come up with ways of regulating these platforms that, you know, are reasonable and that make sense and that allow for correct enforcement, allow for the correct incentives as well. And that's where we are, right? I mean, it's, it remains to be seen whether we will succeed or not. But I think that's what generally we're trying to do. So the bill grants lawmakers immunity for the online speech, and that runs in line with existing protections from criminal or civil liability for anything that they say when they're in Congress. And some people say that that creates two classes of citizens and something that would be very dangerous, especially considering that a number of far-right elected officials were the ones inciting Putsch's behavior on social media earlier this year. And this also goes against recent understandings from the electoral courts, which in 2021 impeached a state lawmaker for spreading misinformation online. Yeah, so I think the point is that it is, in my opinion, it doesn't go against. The, the thing is, we should interpret Congress, men and women, um, freedom to say anything they deem relevant within the exercise of their positions in a way that makes sense. It never made sense, even in the offline world, to interpret that as allowing those people to, for example, spread misinformation, right? I mean, where does it say that these people have that right? They don't. They never had it. It doesn't make any difference if you're online or if, if you're offline. And I think what the electoral courts are doing um, in those decisions is precisely saying, okay, so you already cannot do this. It doesn't, you, you don't need, you know, a, a, a law that says that you can say whatever online in order to interpret a provision that already exists that grants these lawmakers the possibility of them, you know, expressing their views, etc. And to my mind, what, what has been happening is congressmen and women in Brazil have been, unfortunately, exercising that prerogative way too broadly for a very long time and not being penalized for it. So again, you cannot or you should not, and there is nothing in current legislation that allows you, just because you are a representative or a senator, to, you know, incite crime. You can do that. So if you, if you interpret the position that is in the fake news bill as simply clarifying that those prerogatives that exist offline also exist online, then we shouldn't have a real problem. The, the discussion to me is much more about what exactly does this exemption mean, even in the offline world. So should congressmen and women be exempt from any responsibility, any liability, and they can say absolutely whatever they want, even if they're lying, even if they're inciting violence, even if they're spreading misinformation. Um, I think... The law, the current legislation in Brazil would provide a response to that question, which is no, they cannot. They can't express opinions. 
views. And that does not equate inciting crime. Um, but again, I think we, we haven't necessarily been interpreting that provision in that way, which is what indeed led to this discussion being taken to, to the online world. And again, um, also, it tends to be something that is of particular concern to the far right, um, precisely because the far right uh, has been the one that has been, you know, using um, the online platforms more or perhaps more efficiently uh, to to discuss and to to spread information and to reach their their audience. And the Brazilian Supreme Court has two cases on content moderation on its docket. And after the lower house delayed the vote on the fake news bill last week, uh, Supreme Court justice made one of those cases available for trial. So what are the risks of having the courts ruling on this instead of Congress? You know, how dangerous is it to have the judiciary trying to fulfill a role that should, you know, lie with Congress? Yeah, I, I think this was sort of an expected outcome of of this process, right? So if we weren't able to quickly resolve the problem in the legislative, then courts would step in and would you know, try to, what they're doing in those cases that you mentioned, right, is trying to provide an interpretation of the Marco Civil Internet, the Brazilian internet framework, in order to perhaps modulate the effects of Article 19, which is precisely where we have the rule for platforms liability, right? So what, what the article currently says is that platforms are only liable for content you know, that is provided within the platform once a judicial decision um, really says that they have to take content down and, and they do not. So that, that's the very, you know, that's the model that we have today. And that's to some extent the model that is being contested, at least in some instances for, you know, the fake news bill, et cetera. And I think we, we had, of course, a clear storyline that was being built for the judiciary to step in should Congress not be able to, you know, solve the problem, quote unquote. I, do, do I think that's a problem? I think, I mean, of course, it's, it's a potential problem, at least. It's not ideal for the judiciary to create new rules, of course. I think it remains to be seen whether that is precisely what they're going to do, right? Um, there's currently, the, the discussion currently is whether Article 19 would be considered um, unconstitutional, right? Or, again, which is something kind of particular about Brazil, if we would modulate the effects of Article 19 to reach certain situations and not others, I do believe that it for sure would be more appropriate, better for society, and even for, you know, the legitimacy of the decision itself, if we were able to do that discussion, to carry out that discussion in Congress. Um, civil society is engaged. The companies are very much engaged, have been criticized for it. Even um, the, 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 the whole house, the lower house, is really engaged and I think it's the role of also government to, to try and 
carry out that discussion in the you know broader political sphere and try to to come to a consensus to some extent but my view is that the judiciary is stepping in also a lot because because the supreme court in brazil has a straight a straight connection to our electoral courts right so several of the judges are in both courts and etc um they've seen what the electoral process has been for the last years and especially they saw what happened in 2022 and they're really concerned right they they say okay this is a problem someone needs to fix it if congress is not going to then maybe i could see what i am able to do within um within my powers right so so that's where it's coming from um it remains to be seen like what exactly are they going to do i don't know um maybe maybe they come up with solutions that do make sense and that are you know not necessarily as some people are saying oh they're you know stepping way over the line and just legislating in in the supreme court you know let's see they they haven't yet on on this issue anyways and just for context, Article 19 of Brazil's internet framework is the local equivalent of the US's Section 230, which grants platforms immunity for third-party content. And now, Marcella, just before I let you go, why should the rest of the world be paying attention to this discussion that's happening in Brazil? Well, I think that right now, at least, there's a lot to be learned regarding the political legislative process that has been going on, right? So it, it's really you know, clear to see what the interests are and how they're being organized. So that in itself, to me, is something that other jurisdictions can look at and say, okay, if we want to regulate this topic, probably something similar would happen here, right? We would have to deal with these same interests, with these same concerns. Um, Then from a substantive point of view, I think maybe... Right now, the lesson that people might be able to learn is that this is a very complicated topic, a very complicated discussion, a very complicated regulation to, you know, to mold. It's not something that will be easy. Never. If you want to do that, and probably several jurisdictions feel like they must because it's a relevant topic. Be prepared to have a lot of discussions, have a lot of them back and forth, take two steps back to take, you know, four steps back to take one step forward, etc. Um, in terms of the merits of the discussion, I don't know if we can, if there's a lot that we can, quote unquote, teach at this moment, also because we don't have really approved legislation, right? So we, we don't yet have legislation to be enforced. But for sure, we will be a country um, that is relevant to look at should we have legislation, new legislation in the future, because, you know, Brazil is a big democracy. It's hard to manage content here. Platforms are very relevant in Brazilian public discourse. So it's kind of a good lab for other jurisdictions to see what the insertion of content moderation rules means in terms of public discourse but of course that only if we have no legislation in the future Marcella thanks for joining us 
Thank you again. Great to be here. Marcela Matiuzzo is a PhD candidate at the University of Sao Paulo, a Yale visiting researcher and a partner at law firm VMCA. If you like Explaining Brazil, please give us a five-star rating wherever you get your podcasts. It takes only a second and it will help us reach a wider audience. Or better yet, sign up for The Brazilian Report, which is the journalistic engine behind this podcast. We have a subscription-based business model and your memberships fuel our journalism and keep us going and growing. And thanks to our subscribers, we've been able to cover Brazil and Latin America extensively. And for our work, we have won and been shortlisted for multiple international journalism awards. And most recently, our newsletters were shortlisted in the best newsletters category in the America's Digital Media Awards by the World Association of Newspapers and News Publishers. Our competition, The Washington Post and The Financial Times. So keep your fingers crossed for us. And in order to keep doing that work, we need your support. So please go to brazilian.report slash subscribe. I'm Ewan Marshall. Thanks for listening and Explaining Brazil will be back next week.